0: Living Marketing Perspectives. I'm Debbie Howard, and today I am very pleased to welcome Adam Van Wy. And he is the founder and owner of Mailing Lists Inc., which I have to say, from a Google perspective, is probably the best keyword URL for you, Adam, since you sell mailing lists. So congratulations. You, you must have captured that URL a long time ago.
1: <laughs> uh, th- thank you, Deb. It's great to be with you. And we got very lucky on that one because we had the name before there were such things as Google searches.
0: <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Adam really specializes in highly targeted, segmented lists um, within the senior living um Uh, market. And let's start off, first of all, tell us a little bit about Mailing Lists Inc., how long you've been doing it, what got you into the senior living industry, because my guess is it probably was not your first initial industry to do mailing lists for, but love to have just a brief history of you and your company.
1: Absolutely. It's my pleasure. So in essence, I really started out as a marketing person in school, studied marketing in college and knew that's where I wanted my uh, career to go. Early on, I dabbled in a couple of different disciplines. One of them was your neck of the woods, advertising and graphic design, and worked for a couple of agencies in the Washington, D.C. area, which is where we are based, and also a bit in sports marketing. I was involved in that profession for three years, so got a taste of that as well. When I was with the advertising and graphic design industry, I ultimately decided that I wanted to go out and start my own thing but I wasn't really sure what that was so I thought about what were the tasks that I was involved in that I really enjoyed I was really curious about and the creative side I knew right off the bat really wasn't for me not that I have zero creativity but <laughs> asked to design anything, I'd be in very big trouble. So right. I knew that was probably not where my skills lied. But one of the things that I was very curious about was list procurement. Whenever I was involved in a direct marketing campaign, and we had to go out and rent lists, I found that there were questions after questions that I would ask about this process, and what was available. And I guess I consider myself a numbers person and that also uh, translated very well into the list world because so much of it is crunching the numbers a bit. That's kind of where I decided I thought I would give it a try. I sort of found in my area, there were a few competitors, but not a tremendous amount. So the barriers to entry were not all that great. When I began doing it, one of the questions I was asked quite often early on is, what do you specialize in? And Mm -hmm. I almost answered that by saying, what do you mean? (laughs) Do I need to have a specialty? I was not aware of this. And uh, well, people said, you're in Washington. Do you do a lot of political lists? And I said, this is really ironic because I am in Washington and I really don't do any political lists or next to nothing. I decided there were people in this town that were very, very well qualified on the political side. And that was going to be their business. And I was going to really focus more on business to business and business to consumer marketing. And as far as an industry specialization was concerned, I would see if that would ultimately present itself, but I wasn't overly concerned about having a specialty. So as a result, over the course of 27 years, I, I think it's worked out to our benefit that we've worked in a lot of different industries. We work with technology, we work with healthcare, we work with real estate, retail, education. So it really has run the gamut. And to be very honest, that makes my life uh, a bit more complete because I feel as if I'm working with a lot of different industries that all, in essence, have similar types of challenges. It's just a matter of finding the best solutions to those challenges. So that's really the common denominator as far as that's concerned. My entry into senior living was really somewhat interesting it actually began, be, began on the soccer pitch when i was the coach of my daughter's then 8-year-old team i was told by more than one person are you sure you know what you're doing co- coaching 8-year-old girls probably wasn't <laughs> but i did it anyway <laughs> and one of the fathers of one of the daughters on the team worked for marriott senior living services this is of course back when marriott was in the the senior living space so We got to talking about what each other did for a living, and he was very much involved on the market. And subsequently, he made some introductions for me, and next thing I know, I was working list for Marriott Senior Living. And I think that's really how it got started. From there, others maybe heard about this, and I received referrals. We also went after senior living a bit proactively. And... Also, throughout the whole experience to this day is, in fact, just felt that it was a great field to be a part of. The people that we work with in senior living are just all wonderful people. There's just this shared value amongst people who have dedicated themselves to that profession, they're the kinds of people that you actually want to spend your business time with. So I I think it's been very gratifying in that respect.
0: All right, then let's jump into all things list related. So often people will will call us in our creative agency to say, I want to do a direct mail campaign. Here's my age income and zip codes and and take it from there. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just because people don't realize that there's a lot more sophistication and segmentation and targeting that's available today. And so I I would love for you to tell us a little bit about, because it's all about the list, right? A a direct mail campaign, a direct marketing campaign is only as good as the list that you get because these folks you know, have not raised their hand, we are pushing a message out to people who have not asked for it. And so we have to at least have some idea that they may have a need or an interest based on things that are more than just age income and zip codes. I'll pause there and have you tell us what can we do with lists these days?
1: Absolutely. And you alluded to the fact that there is a greater good here. And I think people really need to understand that. Sometimes when i I tell people what I do for a living, I'll receive a response to the effect of, oh, so you're the person responsible for all that junk mail I'm getting or something (laughs) to that effect. And if you delve a little bit deeper there, what you come up with is the fact of the matter is we are trying to put the right message in front of the right person at the right time. And when you do that effectively, it's win-win for everybody. People are very appreciative to receive promotional or marketing messages that are truly of interest to them. Now the key is it has to be truly of interest to them. Mm -hmm. So that's where the right targeting comes into play. Interesting that over the course of time, and again, you see studies all the time about the offer, the creative, the list, which is most important and so forth. They're they're all obviously very, very important, but we know with the list, if it's not going to the right people, it could be the greatest creative and the greatest offer, and it's still not going to work very well. It's interesting that over the course of time, every so often we'll get people who honest to god they will slave over their creative they will analyze their offer for weeks on end and then it gets time to get ready to do their mailing or their email campaign whatever the case may be and it's like oh my goodness i need to get the list and then they call you up and they say oh can you just get me like you say age income zip codes and and that's that and mm-hmm. of course the answer sure we can but let's take a step back and see if that's really the best approach. There is a lot out there and I'll go over some of the criteria. The fact of the matter is there's literally hundreds and hundreds of criteria that we couldn't possibly name everything that's available. But as far as senior living marketing is concerned, these are some of the things that I I think are of the, uh, the most relevant. So let's start with income and let's also understand something about income. Income is an estimated household income parameter it is not based upon your real income only uncle sam knows what that is Mm -hmm. but it's based upon different variables that are fed into a model and the inference is based upon what we know about this individual or about this household this is where the income ought to be it's reasonably accurate it's not perfect no model data is going to be perfect, but it does come reasonably close. Uh, there are other things that speak to income. In other words, they speak to to one's affluence or one's wealth that are available. For example, you can segment based upon home value. You can base. You can segment based upon net worth. Mm-hmm. You can segment based upon income-producing assets. All of those things are not only available but probably do a better job of speaking to the individual household than a weighted model for income so it's a question of knowing that it's available and then being able to find out what kind of numbers exist based upon what you're looking for very often A client may come to us and they'll say, we want to target both homeowners and renters for a campaign and all the criteria should be the same. My response is no, all the criteria really shouldn't be the same. All right. As we know, a homeowner is going to sell their home in in order to move into senior living and that is a big, big factor that a renter. Does not have. So again, you might look at different components in order to target based upon homeowners versus renters. So that becomes very important. Other things, you can target elderly parents living with their adult children. We have found good success with that. It's something worth testing. And I should back up a moment and say that test is probably the most important word in my business. We never have all the answers, but the really proper thing to do is to test different things, see what works, see what does not work. We have one community we work with in the Washington DC area that is only available to active military veterans, families, any connection to the military. So In that situation, we know we have to include that kind of parameter in the selection criteria. We have another company we work with in the Southeast. Their communities, for the most part, happen to be located fairly close to military bases. Mm -hmm. So we test how effective targeting people who are veterans or part of the military are versus non-military. And it's been an ongoing situation where we can look at the results and see, does it make more sense to put more resources into the military side or onto the non-military side? So these are the types of things, as an example, that we can talk about. Another thing, let's say you're doing a a certain type of event in your senior living community. You want to promote that event. Let's say it's a gardening event we can target by hobbies and by interests like gardening. So maybe for that particular campaign, you add the layer of people who have an interest in gardening. Mm-hmm. And so those kinds of things can really serve to boost your response rates.
0: That's great. So even things like, so if you if a community is known for maybe their cultural programming or a lifelong learning program, or maybe they have a very good Chef, high-end dining, foodie, wine. I know one of our one of our clients is building a new uh, community, and they're having wine closets available for res- residents to near the dining room. Have their own kind of wine collection stored on their behalf. Are can you get into some of those very specific and really align attracting people that are going to? That's going to be a high value for them, and it's a really a big differentiator for the community.
1: You absolutely can. Now, one of the things that I would point out in doing so is there is a difference between compiled lists and response lists. And I should go over that very briefly. So a compiled list is just very readily available public information that very large compilers put together and aggregate and then offer. And very often, senior living marketers are using compiled data, largely because their geographic area, which they're targeting is so finite that you want to be able to get enough bang for the buck by having enough names to be able to work with to begin with. When you start to filter in response vehicles, meaning somebody has responded to something that says, I'm interested in fine wine or I'm interested in gardening, then the numbers shrink, often very radically. So Mm -hmm. if the marketing area is just say 10 zip codes, It may be that that's not enough. And again, we always run the counts and let people know here's exactly how many we have that meet the criteria and they can make a decision whether it's worthwhile or not. But sometimes when you're putting that extra response layer into it, you may want to consider broadening the geographic area a bit more than you usually do, again, in order to generate a sufficient number of names.
0: Okay, that's interesting. I think the idea of of being able to target those, those special interest groups, that's highly desirable and really compelling. And I think you also can target competitors to some degree if that's a strategy that you want to take a look at. I would think that those lists that are highly targeted would be more expensive on a per name basis than a generic list. Can you talk a little bit about like, list pricing and and how you come upon that i think everyone's always interested am i paying too much for my list is it a good list what should i be paying
1: absolutely so uh first of all what you've said is 100 correct that when you add these different filters to the list you are contributing to increasing the cost of the list on a per name basis however what you're also doing is you are decreasing the size of the list. So in other words, if I wanna target an individual who earns $100,000 a year or more, that's maybe 10,000 names in one universe. But now, if I want those names to have an interest in fine wine instead of 10,000, now I'm down to Mm 1,000. So yes, the cost per thousand becomes higher, but, the quantity of names goes down as well so it's more finely tuned more targeted but a higher cost on a per name basis pricing is it, it's there's a lot of different ways to look at it basically you want to consider the quantity of names that you're going to be ordering because the more names that you order very, very often the less you'll pay on a per name basis due to volume discounting mm-hmm. you'll want consider whether you want to use the list one time or multiple times. And in the case of list licensing, we can make the data available for one year's unlimited use. And to be honest in this day and age, I I, I recommend that for everybody to put all your eggs in one basket and say, we're going to send out one mailing, or we're going to send out one email and see what, what sticks is not the right way to go. We both know that multi-touches are imperative these days. And with what we're doing, we're trying to take that name who really doesn't even know the community yet, and we're trying to introduce them and bring them into their sales lead funnel. So that's not something that always gets done the first time you make contact with somebody. So Again, when you can procure a list for one year's unlimited use, the cost roughly doubles for, for as a one-time use, and uh, it, it's really very much worth that. The pricing really can vary. I would venture to say, uh, to give very rough ballparks, if we're talking direct mail lists, you may be looking at anywhere from... Uh, 40 to $50 a thousand on the low end, all the way up to maybe $100 a thousand or even more than that on the high end, depending upon what quantity and what, what parameters are used. Like I said, for one year unlimited use, that's going to roughly double. Emails are a little bit pricier than that. One thing I'll also say about pricing in general is this, when you consider all of the components of the campaign, when you consider, let's start with postage because that's the big item, but when you consider postage, when you consider printing, when you consider the design and production, the list cost really often pales in comparison with everything else. So it's always easy for me to spend somebody else's money. I understand that. But at the same time, what I'd say is if you're wondering, should I spend $50 a thousand versus $70 a thousand, but for $70 a thousand, I'm getting the true target that I really need, spend the extra money. It's going to be well worth it in the end.
0: Yeah. And I think whatever you pay more for a more targeted and selected list, it's going to more than offset not having the postage because that's what we're finding is the postage is really the big hit. So if I don't have to send out 10,000, if I can send out a thousand and pay more for those names, if I'm doing a memory, if I'm a memory care community, or if I need to drive leads for our memory care neighborhoods, I want to be able to Get people who who have identified as having an interest or a need for Alzheimer's products, services, care, subscriptions, whatever that is, because that's I'd rather pay more for that, but get fewer people that have higher intent, because it really is about the intent. So maybe this is a good way to segue into ailment data, which I think a lot of folks are interested in. Not everybody who is that certain age, income, or zip code has any intent or any need. But what are some of the criteria and and what can we get from ailment data? So, ailment data is available, but I need to make a few
1: statements about it. First of all, (coughs) excuse me. Uh, First of all, with ailment data, anything that we are able to offer to the public is in the form of self-reported data. This is 100% HIPAA compliant. We never get any information from medical records. We are not allowed to do that. We do not do that. Everything is self-reported, meaning somebody in the household has indicated that they suffer from a particular ailment. You can imagine that many people might be suffering from an ailment, but are reluctant to indicate that in some self-reported manner. So the numbers of names that show up on an ailment database pale in comparison greatly to the overall universe if you were doing something that was very specialized i can certainly make the case for ailment data again this goes back to what i said a few minutes ago if in fact you're talking about using ailment data it's like that extra layer like the the gardening or the fine wine interest It's that extra layer that's going to cost more, but it's going to bring the quantity of the list down considerably. So in this case, again, I would ask myself, rather than go to my usual zip codes Can I make a case for going further out geographically? Obviously, there's such a thing as too far. You don't want to go too far. But can we go further than usual just so that we can get a meaningful statistical number to work with in terms of the quantity that we end up uh, using?
0: I know we've done some of those specialty lists with you. They definitely are effective because there's just, it's more targeted. It's more people have have expressed a need or an interest in that. Is it possible with ailment data to create a subset of, so it's not just Alzheimer's, dementia, but it's Parkinson's and it's, other maybe related ailments? Does that help if you can have multiple? I'm sure there's certain ailments that we all know that kind of trigger the need for senior living. If we just go into our, you know, care database, then we look at our diagnosis of our existing residents, and we can probably get a list of people who are living in that community and what has triggered that need. Can you create those kind of combination lists?
1: You often can. It really becomes a function of the database that you're working with and what ailments are available. I've seen ailment databases with literally hundreds of different ailments on them. I've seen an ailment database with as few as eight available ailments on them. So it really depends upon the database you're working with. The best thing to do is if you are working with a list professional, let them know this is ideally who we're looking for they'll either be able to come back to you and say, A, yes, we can do exactly that, or B, no, we can't do exactly that, but here is as close as we can get to that target, and then the marketer has to make a decision whether this is right for them. Now oh,
0: that makes sense. And at the beginning, you were talking about financial criteria. And I know that for a lot of our clients, the financial criteria is certainly one of their top requirements. How do you look at the financial criteria if you're marketing to the older adult themselves, maybe independent living or active adult, versus if you're really targeting the adult child influencer for maybe assisted living and memory care?
1: It's a great, great question, and again, it starts with the fact that uh, much of the older population is going to be retired, and so income may not be the best qualifier to use for that group, so there, I think the single best thing you can look at would be uh, income reducing assets, because I think that's really what speaks to what they can afford in the senior living space. So if I'm targeting the adult child, I'd perhaps be more prone to use income because the figure there is the household, at least one of the people in the household is likely working. And that becomes more of a relevant factor. One other thing I'll say about this also, which is a tip that I like to offer my clients. It's funny how people will say, we know we need a certain level of income in order for this person to move in here. So let's say that number is $100,000 in income. Can you run me counts based upon 100,000 income plus?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I will come back and say, I, of course I can, but here's my question. Is someone who has $10 million sitting in the bank going to move to your community? Sometimes the answer is yes. And if that's the case, then great, we'll go ahead and do that. But if the answer is no, then I don't like 100,000 plus, because Mm -hmm. now we're hitting the very high end people who aren't going to realistically move to your community. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather use a range there and put a maximum cap so that we're really doing a better job of targeting the group that are going to be the most likely perspective.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm really picking your brain here. So one last question on the list, and then we'll move into another topic that's that's related. The thing that I always want to get to, and I'm always frustrated that I that I can't seem to get there. At the end of the day, I want to target people who are just like the people who are living in my community, because each community really has a persona, but it's very hard for people at the community to define that persona. How could I, whether it's at a single community or maybe in working with a company that might have um, a cluster of communities within a geographical location, how can I extract the data from my rent roll or historical rent roll and say, Adam, here's all the people over the last five years or 10 years that have chosen my community go get me more people like them?
1: Simple answer is you can. (laughs) Well, that's good. (laughs) Now, the the challenge is trying to convince the marketer to actually take this step. And sometimes they don't take the step because they may not know it's available. Sometimes they don't take the step because they think they have a very good read on who their resident is, whether that's the case or not, maybe up for debate. But the fact of the matter is, what you're talking about is target profiling. We do it a a fair amount. What we can do is take a list of residents, we could take a list of prospective residents, we could take a list of adult children, whatever the group is that you want to learn more about, and we can do a very comprehensive analysis from not only a demographic standpoint, but also from a psychographic standpoint, so we can learn more about what the behavioral uh, patterns are for these people. Are there common denominators that we should be taking advantage of? This is all speaking to 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 use a pun on your company, marketing smarter. Okay. And that's exactly what it is. Because the more we know about who's already there, the smarter we can be in terms of going after more people just like them. So it's a great question. It's an underutilized answer. And I really wished everybody would take advantage of the fact that you can profile your your current residents and such.
0: Yeah, I think the struggle is a couple things. Sales teams are not always great at getting the contact information, but I would say the billing department is very good at getting the contact information. So you should be able to theoretically extract a rent roll. So all of the adult children that may be handling finances on behalf of their loved one, you're sending out communications to those adult children, even if they're not the the financial responsible party. So you could extract from your rent roll or your CRM, whatever address um, and contact information you have for the adult children. For the older adult themselves, though, because we don't usually get the previous prospect or resident address, are you able to extract that data using the, the first name, last name, and using the community address and then being able to trace that back to their address of of Origin, if you will, so that you can even look at geographically, where are your your residents moving from?
1: The answer is yes, with limitations. So the US Postal Service has a national change of address program that they can make available going back five years. So if the move has taken place within the past five years, then yes, we can go back and do that tracking accordingly. If it's something that happened prior to five years, then it becomes more difficult information.
0: Fair enough. I think that's good. I think five years is good. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I'll also add one other thing. One market
1: we haven't talked about today are, are what I refer to as professional referral sources. And this is another market which this is really ripe for because many communities will have, and it may only even just be a handful of people that are the ones who are referring a lot of business their way. If it turns out that one is a social worker and one is a geriatric case manager and one is an estate planning attorney, then why not send out a mailing or send an email to all of the social workers and estate planning attorneys in the area and let them know about the uh, benefits and features of the community?
0: That's a great point. Referral development Is so critical and it's getting harder and harder to get in the doors, especially with COVID to, to healthcare referral sources. And then even outside of healthcare, just grassroots, the elder law attorneys and state planners and financial and realtors. So it's great to know that you can source those lists as well. And then I think the other one that we're getting a lot of requests for is staffing. Help me find. How do I get the CNA list? How do I get the LPN and RN list? Those are the ones that kind of those caregiver roles that we're so short on. Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: Absolutely. And this is is one of the nice developments that have taken place over the course of the 27 years that i've been in this business that early on it was almost like an either or situation you you either had to mail to the professional at their work address Mm -hmm. i'm going to backtrack it was not an either or situation you had to mail to them at their work address if you wanted to reach them and the problem of course with recruitment campaigns is (laughs) You don't want to mail their work address. No,
0: definitely not.
1: (laughs) What has happened is over the course of time, they've done uh, just a tremendous job, they being the, the list compilers. They've done such a great job of tracking back work addresses to home addresses. And in this day and age with COVID, with so many of us being at home, that's probably never been as valuable as it is these days. The fact of the matter is we can now take a any job title and mail to that person at their home address. And mm-hmm. that's a very effective tool, it's a very powerful tool. And when you stop and think about it, we all get mail at our home each day. Most of it is personal in, in nature, but if you get a business offer or a recruitment offer, that really might stand out quite a bit more than what normally comes into your mailbox each day.
0: No, oh, that's great to know. I think people will be really interested in that. So now that we've fully picked your brain on lists, let's talk about how do we create integrated campaigns because digital and inbound marketing has really created a lot of shift away from some of those direct marketing, the more traditional avenues. What's the best way to really integrate all of your channels to take the offline to an online experience?
1: There's a lot of things that marketers should be doing. Many of them, of course, already are doing these things. But again, technology being what it is, we've never seen a better day and age where there's so much at our disposal to do this. Obviously, you want to create a campaign where The messaging is very consistent amongst the multiple channels. Uh, That's extremely important. You want to be able to incorporate technology such as a QR code, such as uh, unique URLs or pearls, personalized URLs. Uh, You want to be able to track the effectiveness of your campaigns. And these are ways in which you can do this. And again, just to elaborate that definition a little bit, so let's say you send out a direct mail piece, there's a QR code embedded in the mail piece. If somebody were to then click on that code, they're going to be taken to a landing page or a website or an app, whatever the case may be, whatever you've set up to correspond to that QR code. And this is all about driving engagement. This is all about wetting their appetite, getting them just a little bit interested in what it is you have to offer. And you want that consumer to be involved in the process. The fact that you can now do it with technology is extremely beneficial. In the olden days, we had to rely on a key code. And we basically said, if you are interested in this offer, you can call this number and recite this key code, or you can mail back this card and and the key code would be on it. But either way, it was asking a lot of the consumer to really help you with your tracking. The fact is it's very simple.
0: That's great. And then I know you have campaigns that also have a guaranteed click. So there's there's digital ads that are going out and even uh, sourcing email lists on your servers, (laughs) not on HubSpot or any of ours. You really take the responsibility uh, for that. Can you talk a little bit about what can you expect what results can you expect from a more integrated campaign than just sending out maybe a direct mail piece?
1: Let's yeah, let's talk a little bit about email marketing, which could be an, another ninety minutes if we wanted it to be. Right. So we'll try and refrain from that. Basically, there's a couple of different ways to do email, and there's really some myths about email that I think I would be be beneficial to dispel a little bit. First of all, we are able to license email addresses to our customers and have our customers be responsible for sending out their emails directly or utilizing a service to do that. Some people will say, doesn't that violate can spam compliance? No, it doesn't. Google can spam compliance and take a look at it. It doesn't say anything about the fact that you're not allowed to send an email to somebody that you received off of a procured list. Okay. You won't find anything about that. Now, As you alluded to, there are platforms like MailChimp and Constant Contact that this does violate their terms and conditions. You do want to be cognizant of that. There are tricks of the trade, little ways around this, okay, without utilizing these services, but being able to send out emails on your own. and Again, when you license the email, basically it means you can send out these emails for a one-year period. If you're sending out a monthly e-newsletter, for example, this is a great vehicle to have at your disposal. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other way to do email is to do it on somebody else's servers, as you suggested. (laughs) Many clients are more comfortable taking that approach, and I completely understand that. I'll talk a little bit about the campaign that you mentioned. And the reason I'm going to talk about it is we've just seen great success with it and I'll present this as a case history. This involves a uh, continuing care retirement community in Pennsylvania who they'd been doing direct mail with us for quite some time. And one day I, I received a phone call that says something to the effect of, we keep hearing about this digital thing. What's that all about? But something you might want to consider trying. So we set up this campaign and we did it for a three-month pilot program. And this is what we did we segmented a list and we came up with about 13,000 prospects on the list that met the criteria that the client was looking for. We send them two emails per month. And again, so for a three month pilot program, we did this six times. Mm -hmm. We supplemented that with a digital ad, which the client didn't even have to create. We could create the ad based off the HTML that the email was sending. The campaign works in such a way that we combine the clicks from the email and the digital ad, and we guarantee a certain number. Now, the more that's guaranteed, the more costly the campaign becomes. So we came up with a number that was gonna fit their budget. And basically what we came up with was a 2.3% click rate, which came out to right around 300 clicks per email or 600 clicks per month. Now. These are not necessarily unique clicks. I wish they were, but they're not. But the fact is, it generates so much traffic that we are now finishing up our third year of doing this campaign, two emails per month, every month, except the month of December when we send out a holiday card email. Mm -hmm. The 2.3%, I took a look at our latest figures The last six times we've done this, we've averaged a 3.45% click rate. So instead of the minimum guarantee of 600 clicks per month, it's been more like 900 clicks or 450 per email. Again, it generates traffic. And now what this client is sending, this really started out as event marketing. They were very big on, on events and we were promoting think they were doing maybe three per month, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And obviously, this was the case for a long while until COVID hit, and then there were no more in-person events for a while. And so they had to pivot. And so the next set of emails dealt with the safety issues, the cleanliness of the facility, what we are doing to make things safe for our residents, safe for our staff, That was the messaging. What they are now testing are actual offers. Basically, if you can rent an apartment by such and such a date, you'll get this much money off your for a limited time only type of thing. That seems to be working very well, even in in a day and age where people still have some reticence about moving in. But this has been the kind of thing that helps spur the, the action that the community obviously wants to see.
0: That's great. That's a great uh, case study. And then I think the last thing I really wanna um, talk with you about is the relevance of direct marketing in today's digital world, how we meet the prospect where they are and give them the right information at the right time to the right Person, so I know you and I had a conversation about pull versus push marketing, and I, I'd love for you to to repeat that so that all the listeners um, hear that as well. Absolutely. So uh, again,
1: think of push marketing as outbound marketing, and and think of pull marketing as inbound marketing. This has never ever been about a choice of which one do we do. I think that sometimes becomes the mistake that certain marketers make when they're comparing what all their options are. They say, we do SEO and we have a blog. And so we, we are doing poll marketing and that really should be enough. It probably isn't enough. It's all things you should be doing. Don't get me wrong, but it, it, it ties back to a day and age where I would have many conversations about lists from the standpoint of we've used outside lists before and my internal list always outperforms any external list that we rent. Mm -hmm. Of course it does. Of (laughs) course it does. Your internal list is filled with people who know you and they've opted in to receive messages from you. I'd be amazed if it didn't outperform. But the problem is If you are only marketing to those group of people who already know you, then you are marketing within a vacuum. And the Mm -hmm. question becomes, where are these outside names going to come from? So we bring this back to push versus pull marketing. The push marketing, which is really what our business is, it's getting them to you in the first place, persuading them, influencing them. These are things that are not big words on the poll marketing side. Again, on the poll marketing side, they've already expressed interest in you. They've already expressed some curiosity about you. That's great. You must continue to nurture that. But on the push marketing side is how do we get them to you in the first place? And that's the relevance of the direct marketing is that, the right offer at the right time to the right people. And then you have that person who's gonna go from your push silo over to your pull silo. Great.
0: Adam, thank you so much for sharing all of your vast knowledge about lists. I've learned a lot today. I'm I'm sure that the listeners have as well. And if people wanna reach out to you and learn more uh, about you and what you do, what's the best way for them to find you?
1: Well, they can find me via email or telephone. Our email address or my email address, I should say, is adam at mailing lists, Inc. Lists is plural, followed by inc.com. My phone number is 1-800-570-LIST. So we've made that one easy, 1-800-570-5478. And I am always happy to Speak with anybody about any direct marketing subject whatsoever.
0: Wonderful. We'll put all of that in the show notes. And uh, thanks so much for sharing your senior living marketing perspective with us today.
1: Thank you, Debbie. It was great to be with you today.